0: What's going on, everybody? This is Grant the Cause Artists. Uh, today, we are chatting with James Bartle, the founder and CEO
1: of Outland Denim. And Outland Denim is a, a social enterprise that creates premium denim, um, jeans and, and shirts and other denim products that help tackle uh, human trafficking. Every 30 seconds, someone is sold into human trafficking. It's surpassing drugs and guns as the world's fastest growing criminal industry. So his role... And his vision, his and his wife, have been to try to combat this by starting their denim company and hiring women that have been exploited by the sex trafficking industry, human trafficking industry, training them. Um, helping them learn new skills even financial literacy literacy and other education fair wages to, to really just give them an opportunity in life that they were just not fortunate to have um, so it's a really it's a really deep conversation into you know how to really build a brand that you know really wants to last a really long time um, because of what they're doing you know changing lives on a day-to-day basis so it's it's a long-term solution uh, for a problem that, that they have witnessed firsthand. So it, it's a really fun conversation. It does get a little choppy, the audio, so I apologize. About a half hour in, it gets a little choppy for about five minutes. But just get through it because <laughs> it's worth
0: it. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks. Um, well, I'll jump right in.
1: Just yeah, the, man, yeah. Uh, just the, uh, the light bulb moment, honestly, of, of kind of how everything came together for you to, to embark on starting a, a denim company.
2: It, it, um, well, to be honest, the very first thing was I watched the movie Taken, the Liam okay. Neeson film, mm-hmm. and um, you know that was um I, I know it's a fictional film, but it, it was really confronting for me that the idea that human beings would be traded and um, stolen, sold, and uh, I left <laughs> the movies that night. That I just just with this, I guess, um, well, it started as anger, and a couple of years later, I um, had the opportunity to go into Southeast Asia and see what was happening and join a rescue agency on that trip and it was on that trip that I saw a little girl that was for sale and um, you know when you see that and you, you know look into her eyes and I could see the fear and intimidation that she is um, suffering and knowing that there was nothing that I can do for her that night that was a that was a that was a big moment definitely a life changing moment for me because I you know I still picture her and I have two little girls of my own <laughs> so it's, um, it's a very um, confronting idea that a human and then could be stolen and sold for the profit of another. And, um, you know, I know there's nothing else I want to do other than try and be a part of solving this problem, and I believe that we can.
1: What was the travel trip for? Was it specifically to go with an organization that covered human trafficking? You were going to actually
2: see yeah. see it in in the wild, so to speak? Yeah exactly that man like it was just to go and see what it looked like on the ground you know like it's it's one thing to be sensationalized mm-hmm. in a um, in a Hollywood film but then what does it actually look like um, on the streets um, and and to see what the face of it was you know um, and then to start to learn about the you know the sinister um, motives behind this front that we probably all get to see when we travel through different countries that um, allow this kind of uh, Well, if we're talking about, you know, sex trafficking, for instance, um, you know, not many countries allow the the trafficking of it, but, um, uh, they, they allow the, the sex industry in that way to operate, which is fueling those kinds of things. So that's where it all started, but, you know, really quickly you start to learn that, um, the real problem isn't, um, just, sex trafficking or the sex industry and in the trade there it's it's way, way deeper in it and it stems into all sorts of things. So, you know, trafficking human beings for all all kinds of um different purposes, but labor being the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, you go, Well, you know, why are these people being trafficked and what's the, the root cause of it? And more often than not you, you end end up in poverty. And so mm-hmm. Over the years, you know, that's really what has become the driving force for me and the thing I'm most passionate about is that, that we can actually solve that problem. You know, if we can solve poverty, um, then then a lot of these other problems go away um, so to speak. I mean, obviously you are probably always going to be battling, you know, um, elements of them, but, um, I believe, you know, goodbye. But no. So, so the, yeah. the, 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 yeah. the
1: trip sort of, you know, changed your, your life in a real way. Um, and then, you know, you kind of have to settle down when you get back home, you kind of, you know, you probably, yeah. you know, sit down and you kind of digest everything. And how did, I, I guess the, the question for you was how do you help? Right. And is it, you know, work for a nonprofit, start a nonprofit. I think more and more what we're seeing is that, uh, to be very sustainable in, in impact, right? In, in mm. things we want to achieve an effect on the world that you know business is a good model to do that um, yeah so yeah. so how did that come into play um and how did denim uh come into
0: the picture
2: There's a little bit of a progression um the very first thing on to like i mentioned when i watched the film was i you know <laughs> to be honest i wanted to start a vigilante and start going and getting these getting the bad guys you know and then <laughs> and then i um you know, when I went with the rescue agency to see what was happening, I think the first thing that came to me was, well, maybe I'll become a rescuer and I'm, I'll move to mm. a country where, you know, those operations are happening and, and be part of that. And, you know, I really felt like that wasn't it because although it's um, absolutely very important and part of the process, um, it wasn't the part that I was passionate about because I guess it's it's kind of, um, it's solving that problem or part of that problem for that one survive but it's not it's not solving the problem um and so really really am passionate about getting back to that grassroots area so um the trip over there really was um uh, i guess just to become more educated on the problem and then returning um back to australia my wife and i just started to um, dive deep into um the research on the problem and who's doing what worked a lot with ngos and when i said work with them we just um you know uh, collaborated on um employment um, of these girls to start this project. And um, as we, as we started to employ um, just a couple of women to begin with and um, start to train them, we, we discovered that um, a sustainable career path, a sustainable um, or, um, uh, I guess, a longevity of, of career as well, not just, a, you know, train you into, let's say, hair and beauty, which in a lot of these countries a lot of them want to do, but there isn't the, um, the, the, the clientele for it. So it's kind of like it's not a sustainable career path. So we went, well, what is a sustainable career path? And we really quickly learned that, you know, for Cambodia, I mean, there's 800,000 garments. Um, workers already in the country and that's something they understand it's one of the greatest contributors to the gdp and so we went well if if this is if this is something that this ca- um, country already understands um this is probably an area where we can really um dig in and, and start to make some change and so um denim um has always been a passion of mine if there's ever anything in fashion that i want to do is definitely denim mm-hmm. um but I've got to say, I was entirely ignorant to the process involved in producing um, a pair of jeans, mm-hmm. and I was also completely ignorant to how big the market was and how competitive the market was. So, I would say today that that ignorance has actually been to my advantage, but... Um, uh, man, it's been a a really steep learning curve. But I guess if you look at it on a practical level, if you you take it back to the people that we're trying to um, equip with skills and education to be able to be successful, um, denim is a fantastic garment um, to be making. In fact, I think it's the best. And the the reason is that it's it's also the hardest to make. Mm. Um, So if you can equip somebody to make the hardest um, product within fashion, then pretty much you, you are setting them up for success. Um, Their skills are far higher than those that have been taught to make, you know, just to work on jersey or, you know, T-shirts, for instance. So, we're pretty... um, uh, That wasn't strategic. That was, um, (laughs) you know, ignorance, like I said, Mm -hmm. but um, it's worked out that it's been... it was a good choice, and um, now we're starting to get cut through within the industry as well, and within that segment of the industries of of denim specifically. So um, as that starts to grow, and although we're still a small, really small company, um, where we're absolutely experiencing the flow and effects of what that means for the women on the ground, um, the for our seamstresses, and then for their families as well.
1: Did you or your wife have any? business experience before you went on this endeavor to to kind of tackle two. i mean good luck my man because you you guys have picked (laughs) two very difficult topics to (laughs) try to try to conquer is is sort of human trafficking and also you know the fashion industry which you know people are come you know more as more and more information comes out there is that it can be a pretty dark industry. It can be a pretty dirty industry. Yeah. It can be very impactful uh, on the environment and things like that. So, mm. I guess what what, what were you guys' careers like before you jumped into this, or was it just let's just go for it and we'll just figure it out? Or is there <laughs> any is there any backdrop to, to any type yeah. of knowledge you guys had before?
2: I think I think we're. Um you know, reasonably well equipped. Although, as in that we'd had a, a range of experiences and, and careers that um, I guess are useful in this now. So, my um, wife, she's a journalist and um, she was working in magazines, and um, so she she had a good understanding um, of you know being able to really uh, you know fact find and and really research and discover what the real problems are and um, I guess give us that. That good foundational base for making decisions. Um, myself, I had experience in running businesses already. I had a, another business that um, it was that it was in existence then, and and so we had the the basics. I uh, wouldn't say we were experts by any stretch of the imagination, um, and we've but we had probably a bit of a cavalier kind of attitude toward mm-hmm. it, and we were um, we were ready to go. And um, I, I again, ignorance, mate. Like <laughs> we were so ignorant. I particular. <laughs> And uh because I didn't realise what I was getting into, I didn't really realise I, I could read stats on how big this problem was, but I didn't really mm. get it. Sure. Until I got onto got you know, to spend time on the ground and really started to get to know the people we employ and the problem and, and how deep rooted it is and how entwined into culture some of these issues are as well. And it's, so it's not actually just, it's not a simple fix. Um, and so over the first five years of trying to create this impact, um, we had to change our business model and adapt and shift and move it around to where we came up with something that we actually now have results on that is being very powerful. And although reasonably simple, it's also, um, uh, one of those, I guess structures that's that's evolved into something that you know if you take one element away from it, it, it loses its power. And so I think that's, um, that's why we've had so much success on a uh, social level.
1: Let's talk a little bit about that process because I think that's one of the most important uh, things in all this is – you know many people can you know start businesses it's It's sort of easier than ever to kind of have an idea and just kind of kind of go and launch it. But I mm. think what I'm most interested in and what I like to cover on cause artist is you know how founders and and companies look at a problem and try to solve it from a bunch of different aspects, right? So mm. you guys are trying to solve, you know, a human trafficking issue and a poverty issue and a human rights issue and a fashion issue. Um, yeah. And you kind of yeah. had to to change the business model up a, a couple times. You said to to maybe perfect yeah. it to what it is now. So, what, what can you explain a little bit about what that actually is now, and you know, what all that is formulated into?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean. Uh, Um, Like I said, we spent five years developing the um, business model, so that was employing people, testing it, before we actually launched our brand, which was just over two years ago.
0: Um,
2: And um, during that process of those five years, we developed um, four major areas that we needed to um, have as our sort of foundational uh, model, and that's that's, um, the very first thing being… Opportunity, and that that what that means is that we give opportunity to um, to our staff that may not get it otherwise. That could be somebody that's been trafficked and sold for sex or for labour. just vulnerable on the street you know has a has a disability that means they can't get employment and therefore is made vulnerable so a wide range of different um situations but opportunity to women that may not otherwise get that opportunity that's the first thing but then there's living wages you know and so that from the moment you give somebody like this uh this opportunity you need to be able to pay them a living wage and so in a a lot of cases um they don't have any skills in the areas that um, we work in so you know it's a it's a really yeah, it's a, it's a direct cost of the business that the business probably doesn't have the ability to carry in a lot of, a lot of cases um, because they can't produce an income for the business so but it's it's fundamental um, and a living wage is, is, you know, it's the same sort of income that you and I get to enjoy. It means that we can live a lifestyle where we can pay for our rent, healthcare, save, you know, send our kids to be educated, those kinds of things. You know, even go out for dinner on Friday night. Like it's, it's, it's really important that part of it. And, and then, and
1: do you just look at the the overall, you know, average wage of Cambodian factory worker, or like how do you how do you come up with a, a fair wage, quote unquote? in a, in a yeah. different country
2: yeah yeah so i mean it's very different to minimum wage so you, you you can't ever base anything on minimum wage it doesn't mean minimum wage doesn't fit living wage standards but uh, it what it what it needs to be based on is um, a range of different things so our methodology is based off a couple of um, a couple of different standards um, and then it's research into the living costs of the area that you're in so it takes into account um, the things that i mentioned like um, what's the cost of um, accommodation, mm-hmm. um, you know, food, um, transport, savings, healthcare—all um, of those things need to be taken into account. So, how does a family survive? What is that number to be able to have the basic needs um, that we all um, in the West usually get to enjoy? Um, so, so once that's been established, we then um, set the minimum, and that's that is the living wage and. So, from there, our staff get to progress through different categories of pay scale um, to where they can be earning more than double what a living wage is. So, there is a genuine career path yeah. um, that has financial reward there as well, but the base needs to be living wage. And so, <laughs> in a lot of countries, you'll you'll look at, and especially garment producing countries, you'll see that um, minimum wage, which is what we hear brands talk about, mm-hmm. um, is far far less than minimum wages. I mean, it's it's a fraction of a living wage. So people are, are working in these conditions, um, but still deeply in poverty. I mean, Oxfam have just released a report, in fact, on Australian brands and um, you know, the, the places and factories that they have produced and, and, the, and the real stories of the workers. I think they interviewed over 400 workers um, from different brands and factories and it was, it was um, devastating to read the reality of um, the life of some of these women. I mean, their stories of women living in a, a 1.5 by 1.8 metre space having to leave their, their children behind this one lady having left her, her baby with her mother um and sees her baby twice a year while she lives in this space she sleeps on concrete floor she works six days a week 12 hours a day like it's horrible conditions and, and these it's are, a are um,
1: because you said there's i mean there's 800,000 garment workers you said in cambodia and is that just yeah. from you know big time american brands european brands is that traditionally
2: who they work for? Yeah, yeah, traditionally it is, you know, um, large European and American brands. You know, there's, you know, all the brands that we know have been produced there and – I guess I'm not into naming and shaming brands necessarily into um, submission to this because I also understand that it's not easy and probably most, although there's less excuse now to not know, um, sure. but I would imagine that most CEOs, um, as they become aware of these issues, they're they would, would not want to be a part of contributing to it, even though they are. Um, so I, I know a lot of the big brands are absolutely moving toward um, being able to change the, the way they produce and have better standards. Um, but I think what we often see is that, so the brand will see that there is um, you know slavery within their supply chain and they'll mm-hmm. go to their factory and they'll say, well, um, this isn't good enough, you need to raise your standard, but aren't willing to pay any more for the product either. Um, and right. so therefore the problem will never be solved um, whilst that's the standard. And then that flows on to consumers as well and the price they're prepared to pay for a garment. So we use jeans, for example. Our product sells in the United States for about a, uh, $200. Um, it's an expensive pair of jeans. Um, we say that we're sort of the entry to the luxury market, but, but we know for us to be able to provide what we provide for our staff, they need to sell at that price if you're selling traditional, um, in a traditional way. Um, so it's, it comes down to that education where um, consumers are going well i'm going to buy one pair of jeans versus
0: three
2: or mm-hmm. um right. you know two versus five and as as we're educated more as consumers and we start to make those choices things will change
1: i hundred percent i think that's uh you know that's the driving force behind uh what my side is about or what it's what it's yeah. for is is really education and discovery because i think yeah. that a lot of people just don't know you Yeah, know, and absolutely. It's, it's it's not anybody's you know it's not their fault necessarily um i think pleading ignorance going forward will be a little difficult because yeah um everybody has google (laughs) you know (laughs) it's it's uh it's very easy to discover what things are and, and how things are produced and what supply chains are and what fair wages are. And look, you got to want to search for that stuff. Right. So I think what, uh, I think it's, uh, we try to do that in a creative way where it's not, uh, (laughs) you know, it's not like shaming anybody. It's just saying, Hey, there's different options out there. You know, there's some really good companies and, and really interesting things that, that people are doing because look, they're studying the landscape like you did. I mean, what company, you know, Essentially, beta tests for five, six years before they even come out. I mean, that's <laughs> you know, that's unheard yeah. of, really. So I think that that's important. That that's known. That look, I mean, this company kind of puts the time in because this is what's needed um, when you buy a pair, two hundred pair dollar, you know, two hundred dollar pair. Yeah, look what happens. Mm-hmm. Look what you're actually supporting. It's much, it's much more gratifying.
0: Absolutely,
2: yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things often that you'll find. Um, brands in our position you know those that are that are cause driven will often put the cause above the product and um, mm-hmm. that also creates problems you know mm-hmm. any of these initiatives only ever work if they become sustainable on every level you know and so for us that's absolutely the focus is that we're actually passionate about our product we love them we love the industry and so therefore we want to design product that reflects our passion for it as well and um so it's not just that the product is having a huge impact on a social but also environmental level. It's actually a product that you want and you desire um, and therefore we actually become sustainable in the in the sense that we're not actually asking anybody for a donation anymore. We're mm-hmm. not asking you to dig deep for something that you can't afford or that you feel like you can't afford um, we're We're actually just asking you that if you're going to buy denim would you would you look at ours as, a, as an option and um, as people look and try ours on, I mean that, yeah, denim is a difficult one to get people to switch from a brand they're comfortable um with you know there's a lot of brand loyalty within denim mm-hmm. um, but when you get them to try your product and they feel that um the, the difference in the way that it's produced, and this is where a lot of our environmental impact comes into the product, is um, in the dyeing and um, the washing processes that we're using organic or um, vegetable dyes and washing. Um, it, it changes the feel of the fabric. It changes the way that it is on your body. I mean, you're not you're not absorbing harmful chemicals through your skin, um, you know. And so then we see that that people start to align with our products. They love the fit. They love the look of it. Um, makes them feel good. But they're changing somebody's life. Mm-hmm. just by wearing this product you know
0: mm-hmm. no it's, it's a beautiful it's
2: it's it's, an,
1: it's it's such a great revolution yeah. and it's uh it really is going to keep keep growing and it's going to keep you know impacting lives around the world when no, you know more people just become knowledgeable of it it's going to be mm. a no-brainer it's in my opinion it's going to be the norm i think a lot of yeah yeah, you know, a lot of the the big brands that you know are so called competitors, I think they're going to be looking at your supply chain and your business mm. model and your process going forward. Yeah, and yeah. you know you're that it, it you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of those big brands have to you know pivot toward models that you have created. You know, mm. so I think that it's a good thing, but then it's it's kind of tough as a consumer because I don't want to. I always look at big brands as like, it's, it's tough because, you know, they've made, you know, millions and sometimes billions off of mm. exploitation and, you know, mm. destroying the environment. And then. You know, when the consumers turn towards a more sustainable product, they tr- turn and now yeah. they get rewarded for like doing that, becoming yeah. a better company. <laughs> and now like helping out the environment after they kind of destroyed yeah. it for decades or
0: yeah. paying
1: people good wages after they exploited them for three decades. It's like you don't get to benefit off both,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> that's right. yeah. so that that's yeah. the
1: struggle yeah. I think that, uh, you know, big companies are going to face, at least from, you know, a consumer like me. Um, you know, I'd rather yeah. reward you guys rather than yeah, yeah. you know, reward somebody else coming well, I guess to copy you guys.
2: <laughs> I totally agree. I totally agree that it's I mean it can be frustrating, but it's um I guess when I look at it on the on the grand scale of things, you know, an ultimate win for us is the highlight that there is a better way and that it's sustainable um, and if we can see large companies moving into create um, their products with this kind of model, they're going to have a greater impact than we can anyhow mm-hmm. um, and I guess the the fact that we started to solve a problem, we didn't start to um, be the biggest denim label that we would love to be mm-hmm. uh, means that 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 will be an absolute win for us. So it's it's our bottom line is very different to yep. um, another brand that is that is absolutely focused on profits for shareholders. Although that is very much um, uh, got to be a priority and it's very important. Um, it can't be the driving force. And I think that's why we've had, you know, quite some early successes because it, it is coming from a place of genuinely wanting to solve a problem. And, um, we don't think we have all the answers yet. We're still evolving trying to change and looking at different technologies and being able to enhance what we do. Um, but, um, it's never going to come from a place of this is about driving profits.
1: A little bit more about the uh, the supply chain and the business model and sort of the production of things. I know that's a that's a, a really big uh, sort of question, um, but I guess when you you looked over those five or six years of of you know perfecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the model and supply chain what did you look at that you guys could could do better as you saw you know other factories yeah. uh, do things that you wanted to do them like how how difficult was that is actually creating a quote-unquote ethical supply chain because that can be very very difficult
2: really really difficult i mean and if we talk about supply chain i mean for most brands starts um with the factory um for us we own the factory that's that's uh the heart, and soul of what we do, um, and so creating that business model based on those four pillars that um, I mentioned. The first two being opportunity and um, living wages, but then the, the next next thing is you know training into a position and education, and um, with all of these four elements that that equips that. First step of your supply chain to be, to not just do the right thing, but to, to, um, right or wrong, so to speak, to, um, to repair, you know, something that was, that, that was out of whack and certainly wasn't operating, um, in a fair, a fair manner. But then we go to our next tier and we'll go back to, um, for we'll use our denim milk, for instance, just, you know, for example, we go back to, we, we're supplied our turkey and, um, we need to then find a better mill that is committed to the same things that we're committed to. So that takes a lot of time and research and looking into them and the way that the way that they um, treat um, first of all their staff and then the flow on effect out to their suppliers and how they purchase and um, and it's a real process. It's um, it's expensive for the um, for the mill um, to be audited in the way that they are all the time, um and, and human resources and being able to um, answer our questions and show our staff around and. You know let us dig deep, deep into what they do you know and it's quite confronting i think for a lot of businesses and um it's a it's a real concept to get your head around um because it nearly comes from a place of nearly um although this is not the intention of anybody but you're guilty and proven innocent and um mm-hmm. so it's also for a business owner who's quite passionate about doing the right thing it's nearly offensive as well but also at the moment necessary um so we go back into um, into that tier, and then from there we go back um, even further through um, each supplier and then back to raw materials eventually. And so that would be if we're talking about denim, cotton, being grown, and how the cotton's been grown, and then you've got a lot of environmental um, implications that are tied into the whole process. So um, for us, you know, there's, there's a lot of debate um, around um, you know using better cotton, issue cotton, or using DOTS, um, Standard cotton, or um, you know, uh, what's better, organic? Or um, mm-hmm. there's a huge debate, and and look, the, the research is always getting deeper and deeper in it. So for us, we choose to use organic cotton, and there's reasons for that, um, which we believe are, it is just better for the environment. Um, but then we also, I guess, a company that's willing to always look at what's new, and is there a better way? Is there a better fibre to use? And um, you know, low cotton. Especially here in Australia at the moment, cotton's, you know, under the fire. Um, you know, it's getting, again, it from that, um, environmental, uh, level and, and the way that it's sort of potentially harming the environment with, um, using, using pesticides and those things, which is a reason we use organic, but there's also some advantages to it. So it's really just always trying to weigh up uh the impact of every part of what we do on a social and environmental level we use a hashtag called zero exploitation and what that means is that every decision we make to the company comes out of that that place of zero exploitation so it doesn't mean we are zero exploitation we're absolutely not
0: mm-hmm. you
2: no know, on an environmental level we 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 all drive cars, you know, where sure. what it means is we're really trying to find a solution. We're not just going, Oh, this is the best we can do. You no, know, I I get frustrated when I hear how do we reduce our our goal is to reduce our um CO two emissions. You no, know, well for for me I feel like we're all, we're falling short when that's the question that we're asking. And I think we should be always asking the question, how do we remove our CO two emissions? I know that's that sounds very optimistic and unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But we've got to aim at that and and as a result of aiming at that we're gonna achieve, you know, a way high standard of what we're what we're actually all trying to do. Um and you know, for for instance, you know, they, they harvest CO two out of the atmosphere and create fuel out of it these days. I mean somebody had to think there is a resource that's been created over time that we could potentially harvest and turn into a fuel. You know, the renewable energy space and you know, I know we're we getting on the track here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, it's a pretty exciting space with all with all the things that can be done right now to to improve people's lives um through you know technology and um all the creative brains out there i think it's really exciting
1: yeah no that's why it's uh it's usually not just one thing especially in the uh you know garment or fashion industry it's there's so many different issues that a producer or brand faces when they get into that arena um mm. because you know the production of clothes is you know can be very harmful right if it's not taken into mm. to account mm. i think that I, I could have it wrong but i believe one of the uh one of the stories we had was that uh it's the second largest uh polluter behind oil as far as certain environmental mm. metrics, the production mm. of it, right? It it just there, there's there's yeah. a lot of things that go into yeah. it. So I think that and, and look that like I said, I mean, over, over time I think Companies learn this, right? Governments learn, and they unfortunately we have to figure out when things go bad that hey, this is probably not the best way to do this. <laughs> um, so when the data comes back yeah, and yeah, things yeah. aren't things aren't great, then you know you do have to to mature as as uh, as an economy, as companies and, and brands. You have to just look at it and say, hey, this is a problem. We're gonna we have to try to find a way to fix it, or yeah. you know we won't exist right in, in a in a while.
2: Exactly. Yeah. You've also got. I think we've also got, sorry, it's um, the one thing that is so closely tied, which was a real realisation for us, is that you, you can't actually separate the environmental and social issues. Mm-hmm. And although we try to separate those, and look at like those who are just environmentalists, those who are just socialists and working on these different issues, um, we started from a social perspective, you know, entirely. Um, but we quickly came to realise that actually the environmental issues are directly today, Mm-hmm. In people's lives, um, in a, in a huge dramatic way. And if we don't start to tackle those problems now, today, then yes, on an environmental level, they will become bigger problems and create more devastation than they already have. But on a social level, it is it is devastating to see, in particular, what the, the garment industry has done to people's lives through pollution. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, when you get to see it firsthand and when you hear some of the stories and the implications of um, polluted water and, you know, potentially even, you know, you think about drinking that, you know. Um,
1: can, you give it, can you give us an it's, example it's, of, of it's, what it's, that – can you give us an example of what what you mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah, okay, I mean, it's a – this is a, one of the examples that um, we have seen in Southeast Asia um, and that I've been – it's been reported to me on um, – number of times, but one of the major global drug companies went through Southeast Asia with a marketing campaign quite some years ago, um, educating uneducated people that their baby formula was the best thing to do for your child. Mm. So now you've got these poor women thinking, for me to do the best thing I can for my child, I've now got to buy this baby formula that I can't afford. So then obviously there's a lot of implications that stem from just that alone. But now I've got to buy this baby formula. So then, for some of these people, they're buying this beta formula and are absolutely reliant on the obviously um, water systems within their, their area and these water systems is used to mix baby formula. And so you've got diamond factories pouring uh, chemicals into their water streams. And I mean, all you got to do is go and Google blue dogs of India, and you'll see dogs hopping out of um, river streams in India. Blue, indigo blue from the dyes um, that are used in making machines. And And so now they're feeding Mm. it to their infants, uh, none the wiser. And think about the cause, the cause, the implications of that one marketing campaign, you know, marketing to uh, people that were none the wiser. Now, to me, that's a, that is a criminal offence. There is no excuse for that. And I think that, you know, it, it should absolutely, it's a punishable offense. And um, so for us, one of the courses that we ran with our staff was actually just a really simple course. And it's one that I think has been one of the most powerful things in my mind as to the impact of, of the course. And that was just to run something really simple on infant care. Okay? So we talk about breastfeeding. We talk about the benefits of breastfeeding if you're able to. Um, we talk about those issues. And so going into one of these courses, we survey everybody. and What do you know about these issues? What do you believe is right or wrong? Um, or, or, true or false, um, I should say. And, um, and then coming out, we survey again, and so nearly 99% of those that went into the course thought that using baby children more, uh, was a better thing to do to your child. Coming out, they knew that breastfeeding was the ultimate. So, you know, that's a generational change. That's not changing it for, for their children today. It's changing it for their children's children. And that's, that's a really powerful generational change that, that can happen quite simply. Um, but it's a real shame that those things actually need to exist. That drug companies are allowed to go through and um, advertise in this way, and and you know the, the actual, you back these life on such a negative, such a negative deep, deep level, and I don't know if they realize how deep it runs for everybody.
1: No, it's it's. I mean, you know, it's frustrating that there's no, you know, there's no criminal action, and and if there is, it's a, you know, it's a small and irrelevant fine you know that is and with the news cycle mm. you know these stories don't necessarily get covered at a mainstream level because that comp that same company mm. is probably providing advertising dollars to you know that media company so it's very difficult for yeah you know a mainstream media company to cover hard topics like that if that same company is you know, paying millions of dollars to run uh, commercials on their network the whole year. Yeah. You know, so it's a, you know, mm, mm. All right, that's, yeah. uh, you know, our system in general is, is not great. Uh, so, um, thankfully None. there's a. None. There's outlets that, like this that can exist now and, and hopefully more and more will. But how has the, how has the local um, community responded to, to you guys just from what you've seen on the ground and, you know, obviously mm. kind of being there and, and creating a company there and more of a better situation for, for people to live and, and, and work?
0: Mm. Uh,
2: Is that been you know, incredibly responsive to us, um, you know, from government to the local person that lives in the area, so... Uh, our, our operations manager over there will have calls every day from um, people wanting jobs and the, the need is, is so great um, that, you know, that's one of the toughest parts of our job is that when you don't have jobs, you don't have jobs, you know, um, but you want to give everyone a job and everybody that same opportunity. So, I guess the response on, on that individual level is that it's, a I mean, they're grasping to, to hope that... This will change their lives and it will if they work within it. But I think that's to highlight in our business model there too is that it's not a free ride. We're not even back at one other charity. Um mm-hmm. we, we give opportunity. We give the tools, the framework for you to be successful, but you still need to be diligent with it. You still need to work hard with it. And that's actually what makes the change because it's putting the power back in their own hands to make the difference. And it will never we'll never change anything whilst we treat them with pity, whilst we treat them with um, anything other than respect like we would anybody um, in you know, the U.S. or here in Australia or one of these more well-off countries. So people want this uh, and they're supportive of this. It's a little bit outside of their, um, their thinking. They've seen... They haven't seen it done this way before, so it's mm. hard to educate them that no, we don't want to just do it the, the way it's been done for years. We want to be different, you know. We want to treat people and environment with the utmost respect, and therefore it does make it harder, it does make it more expensive and more uh, time costly. But um, the results at the end of the day is that we will We'll lead an industry back into doing things the right way, rather than just being the driver on everything.
1: Is, is everybody that works for you guys in Cambodia all women?
2: Yeah, it was until recently, yeah. Well, when I say it was, we had our ops manager, who's a, who's a local man, um, with 25 years in, in, uh, in producing volumes. And then we had our country manager, who's an Australian guy, um, lives over there with his family managing the operations and um, other than that it was all women uh, but now we've actually just employed our first guys that were actually trafficked for um, a new project that we've got underway which is developing a solution for big brands to be able to produce and have the same impact as we're able to have. So that was quite exciting and the realisation of a dream for me is to see men starting to
0: team
2: mm-hmm. to get employment where us coming from. I mean these two guys were um, you know, held on on machine vessels um, off the coast and therefore the Thailand coast and therefore were unable I mean their, their travel documents are held and therefore they're basically prisoners they, they can't go anywhere without them so it was quite um, incredible work with the with a lot of great organizations, but this just there's one in particular International Justice Mission, who um, identify the rest of these guys and their placement is really important for them to not fall back into the same sorts of situations. So that's where our part of the uh, job comes in.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's 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 kind of interesting. Human trafficking can be all-encompassing, you know, whether it's men, women, mm-hmm. and, and, and children. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously sex trafficking is, is mostly majority women and, and mm. that's sort of and that's sort of who you guys got originated with looking at the situation and hiring mm. you know, specifically women who have been victims to that what's their um what's sort of the process when you know you guys hear about somebody or the ngo kind of connects you with certain people and then you bring them on and you train them from day one like you said it's they, pr- they don't necessarily have skills yet so, do you guys take on the burden mm. of actually training them, or does the NGO do that, yeah. and then you kind of give them the job?
2: No, it's um, it's our job to train them. Um, sometimes I come in with having had some training from an NGO or prior experience, but um, no, it's our it is our job to train them, and that's where you know there's a huge cost burden in wearing that, but um, that's why we exist, and and that's where. The difference is, one of the, one of the biggest differences is, um, in what we do is that, that we'll take the from no skill to, to become a highly skilled, and over about a two and a half, three year period, they'll actually become a very highly skilled seamstress in denim, um, and, and actually able to make every part of a gene versus being skilled in a, in another factory of just one element, it might be just pockets and belt loops, um, We rotate them through every area of it and we chart their success and their, their skill levels as well. So, um, you'll see on our, on our graphs that over, over those years where they start at level one, which is the most basic skills in an area, they'll move to every section of producing that gene and, um, hopefully become a level five, which is the highest skill level, um, that we rate. And, um, that's, that's what makes it so powerful.
1: Does your, um, does your wife still, um, did she did she cover human trafficking issues specifically, or was she sort of a, a journalist in another sector?
0: Yeah, no, she was
2: a journalist in another sector. She was in glossy magazines. <laughs> oh, okay, um, she um yeah. yeah. And so well, it's still fashion amazing. related, um,
1: though. I guess a little bit, huh? Y-
2: yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. She was absolutely. You know, tied into the fashion world and uh, what was happening there, which has been a huge advantage to us. But you know, she's always wanted to to go deep, and the more she learns, you know, she's a very compassionate woman. And um, as you become a mother, you see uh, this next level of compassion and understanding come out of out of her and um you know it's been amazing to watch the way that she's i mean she will dig deep to, to look for research and doesn't take anybody at their at their word of their article you know it's like let's let's find out and check everything and prove everything and and that's actually quite painful as um you know the guy that's usually representing um the brand and you know um we're always digging deeper and deeper and deeper and it's like oh my gosh like you know we need to we need to actually just start start talking about this but um <laughs> it, it's what's become our strength to be honest. It's the fact that, you know, you can trust what what we're putting out there as, as um not just being uneducated. Um I read it on Facebook information. It's it's educated. It's um you know we mm. a lot of our resources actually go into this. So for instance I've got two people that you um, full-time committed to social and environmental um, traceability and impact. And, you know, most teams would never have that, especially a team at our size. They'd never even have one person, let alone even a part-time person. So that's two people. I mean, my wife's role, she's communications director. And, um, you know, so her job is, is actually just making sure that the content that's being produced by the rest of the team right. is... Is accurate and and true, and so we would put more effort into making sure information that goes out is accurate and true. Versus we would creative, beautiful content, um, and um, we don't ever want to change that. And um, but it's been nice to have the resources to put into every aspect of what you do.
1: Do you see other bigger denim brands trying to be more socially responsible, but? It, it, do you see it almost in a fake way that are, are, are they actually really really
0: trying
2: yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, hey, it's very difficult to know what's happening behind closed doors. I don't mm-hmm. know. But yeah, I do see denim brands, um, really trying. I do, I do believe that there's a genuine desire to change. And I think that's just a, a, a human desire. Although human beings can be quite selfish, um, uh-huh. we also don't want to be exploited. We don't want to do the wrong thing by anybody else. I mean, um, we, in general, I would I would like to thank. Um, so I think when these companies think about um, creating impact through their business, I think it's exciting to them, but I just think it's maybe daunting, you know, the, mm. the size of this problem, what does that mean for their business? Mm. So, um, I mean, one brand I've always loved to highlight is Nudie. I mean, that's a brand, um, I don't know if you know the brand, but a Nordic it? brand that just, I think of all of uh Nudie N U D I E um you know and from a so uh from a sorry inv- environmental point of view they've always just really focused on um on that and the way that they produce and I think they're a fantastic brand um and you know and then you see Levi's and and other brands like that doing little bits and pieces how genuine is I don't know is it marketing well I guess I've always got to come back to and I'm not going to use um <laughs> Levi's as an, uh, necessarily as an example here but I think it's I think one of the telltales is if you're producing 1% of your of your um, collections in a sustainable way but 99% in a non-sustainable way. Right. That's not sustainable. That you, sustainable your enough. answer is kind of <laughs> – I think your answer is kind of there. <laughs> um, and I won't say any more about that. Um, I would say look to the brands that that you can see it's part of their DNA. Um, 100%. You know, and 100%. they're the brands that are going to – always be driving um, for this change. And like you said earlier, they're probably the better. <laughs> We're probably the kinds of brands that are going to, uh, you know, maybe even fall sort of the big brands as they move into these things and take market share um, but hey, if we're the ones that drove it. We're mm-hmm. the ones that were able to be a part of creating the change, then we've still won, you know. And that's the way I'd like to look at it. And um, but at the same time, go hey, we're coming for your market, you know. We're we are here to take your customers and um, <laughs> and, and current change with those people that, that
0: genuinely want to be part of the
1: change. The one thing that I uh, that I I do see happening. Um, I don't know how soon it will be but I think as you see you know more and more like tech companies uh, buy smaller you know tech companies uh, I think you're gonna start to see that in this industry to where uh, mm. you know a bit you know, we'll just say Levi's or or guess or somebody look at somebody like you right and say, we just want to buy you, right? And just give you a mm. stupid check, right? And it's it's going to be mm. interesting to see how, um, you know, brands and, and people like yourself handle that because that's going to be very difficult for people to mm. build something, right? And then it pay off in a big way, but maybe it's being bought by the same people you created your company to combat, <laughs> you know? It, to,
2: to challenge, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it,
1: it, I, I see it be an interesting dynamic that, you know, and I can never fault anybody, obviously, for for doing that. You know, for selling or something. But I'm I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic that we as consumers can can combat that by just sort of, you know, we're just going to keep buying from you, and you don't have a reason to sell, right? You're mm-hmm. doing fine, and, and the company, yeah, sustainable, totally. You know, so it's just it's a thought that crosses my mind sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh look, man, it it's and it's a look. It's, I'd
2: be lying if I said it's not a thought that's crossed my mind. You know? Yeah, absolutely, totally. I, it gets really, really really tiring to work in this space sometimes and, you know, you feel the weight of it and um, and and what's the consequence if this doesn't work? You know, that's, mm. that's a harrowing mm. thought for me is exactly. what happens to our staff yeah. if this doesn't work? Um, but I guess what we've done is we've built this. The DNA of this brand, the existence of this brand is entirely built on the fact that we are here to, we exist to solve um, social and environmental issues. Um, so even if it was to sell in the future, and I'm certainly not saying that, um, <laughs> no, no,
1: I, I, I just would say it's always you know, it's... about looking
2: at the it, at, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but we've got to look at the big picture, and and for us, the bottom line is thumbs on C to be able to create this change for as many people as we possibly can. And so this is a part of our move, actually with the, uh with what we're doing with I guess a solution to solve this problem for large brands going. Even if a brand did push 10% of their, their lines across to produce with us, let's say, mm-hmm. would that be worth it? And when you first, when I first started thinking about this, I thought, no way in hell, no way. <laughs> so if these guys want to exploit the world and then produce 10%, I'm like, no. But then I start to think about it on an individual level of what does mm-hmm. it do for that person that we can employ? Sure. Um, and then it becomes a very confronting situation to think about. So, um, I definitely don't have answers on how you actually combat that, um, and what's the right and wrong way of going about, and I think every case will be very different, but um, I agree that's probably something that that um, lots of brand companies like this, as this movement gains momentum and strength, um, that we will see those kinds of offers coming in. But um, for us, I guess the thing is the the decision to ever do anything like that has to come from. Can this benefit people and environment? Can they take it further than we can, or um, are they just going to um, drive it into the ground and destroy what we? what we
0: set up to it you
2: know why we exist
1: so yeah it's a tough one when when do you when you talk to sort of people um you know if you're if you're having dinner or you're at a party or something you know somebody asks you the <laughs> the question of like you know what do you do right and it, do you <laughs> do you answer that in a in a long tail way or you just kind of give them the simple answer because
0: because <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. it's a,
1: it's a it's a tough road to go if they really want to know right <laughs>
2: uh. It is. It really is. Oh man, it's a minefield. Honestly, I mean, eight eight years ago when we started, um, oh, man, for those first five years, I dreaded this question. I dreaded it because, yeah. it was like, so what are you doing? And, you know, usually I would tell them about other business that we used to fund this in those initial early days, um, and just say that I, I that's what I do. But um, but now these days, um, now I'll just say. We have a denim company, which is also still a little, um, I guess one of those things. It's like kind of saying you're an actor and. So <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, good for you, you know. Um, <laughs> but, um, that's only coming from a, from a prideful perspective, uh, I guess, but, um, not wanting that I'm going to be unemployed. An um, but uh, it's when we do get into it. Yeah. It is, it's challenging because what you do find is people do feel judged if you speak passionately about what you do. Um, and that's absolutely not the intention ever. Um, w- all you actually want to do is just—I guess—it leads into the things you're passionate about, and uh, and the fact that that we are all a part of this problem. And I guess it's always important to highlight the fact that actually I am a part of this problem. I am—I'm trying to solve a part of it, but I'm also part of the problem. Um, and that's—and that's based purely on you know probably food choices and you know what mm-hmm. I fuel my car. I fuel my car from an industry that is probably, um, highly exploitive and corrupt. Uh, so I, I can't stand on my high horse and think that I have all the answers and think that I'm, uh, can have a clean conscience in this. What I want to do is lead people into better options. I want to be able to be a part of making it more accessible and easy for people to make this choice. Um, again, because I believe that people are good and I believe that people don't want to exploit each other, um, necessarily. I think that if we can make it accessible and easy for people to make these choices, then the change will happen. For me to think that I can just convince everybody because I'm passionate about it, I actually think I can cause more damage than good. Well, that's what I think I've learned over time, is that you've got to be very careful in the way that you talk about what you do, talk about this particular issue um, in a way that is is, I guess, loving and, and and encouraging people to follow and come across and see what we've found versus you should be doing this and pointing fingers because that doesn't ever work. And I know whenever that happens to me, um, a big wall goes up and it's very hard for them to um, get through to me.
1: The uh, The last thing that I'll ask is, you know, like like we, we kind of said before that, you know, the passion and the dream and the mission is, uh, is really big and broad and, um, you know, can be difficult to achieve without actually having sales, you know, actually not getting, you know, Mm. people to believe in your mission and actually make a purchase. So what has, what has been successful for you guys, you know, over the last couple of years of, of actually, you know, growing a business and being able to, you know, to employ people, what has been, you know, successful for you guys? Is it has email been great for you guys? Is social media really good? Is, you know, is, is everything you do through really through your website and you try to really focus on that? Just, just some, you know, some, some tips for, for people who may want to you know really mm. start something maybe in a different sector, um, but how to actually, you know, they passionate yeah. and have a mission, right. But you still have to be able to yeah. convert on
0: sales.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the big issues I see you know, consistently across this sector of of social impact businesses or just impact business, you know, and um, it's, we're so and for our cause that we forget about our product or we forget about our service. And um, our product and service actually really need to lead our cause and um, that's how we create sustainability. And so to begin with, for me, that felt like selling out mm. when I focused more on getting our product for us so that we could have this impact. But the natural fact is that's what made it sustainable and that's created a way larger and more powerful impact than it would ever have have created whilst I was leading with my social cause. Um, And so the thing that would be powerful for us is is, um, really our marketing campaigns are a PR-based one. Um, So it is a strategy of having other people tell our story. Mm. We believe it's more powerful for somebody else to tell our story than it is for us to tell it ourselves. Um, And so we try to focus more on product, um, and quality of product um, when we communicate as a brand but we love it when somebody else um, like yourself, Grant, talks about um, what's behind our brand and why we exist because we think that you give it credibility that we can't and so then we can go deeper into issues as well without it being confronting for For our customers and our uh, those who who follow along the journey with us. Um, But then, as far as um, social media goes, I mean, obviously it's very difficult to survive without it now. it's it's the best tool we have to communicate quickly to our customers. Um, And we we as a brand have I would never say have been um, have done an amazing job at it. Um, we've always been under-resourced in that area because sure. um, it's it's although it's one tough. of the most important yeah. areas of your business, it's it's it, it feels like it's I can't see return on that, you know, even though there is. Uh, yep. So you you kind of pull money from that, and put it into other things. But um, social media is huge, and and so it's not just beautiful images. It's um, it's how do we communicate um, the message we want to communicate to our customers, and for us as a brand, that is. We have beautiful products, but we have products that, that we think you will love. Um, you've got to try them, you know, so that's a, that's a really, really challenging area. man. And, um, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for our PR strategy that, um, has actually happened, um, you know, predominantly organically, um, it would be, it'd be a tough road for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to, to look at the numbers and it's usually companies will hire an intern you know, for that job, or mm. you know, they don't really yeah, invest yeah. too much in it, and it's because it's hard. You have so many other avenues that you have to, you know, to pay for, and it's, um, you know, sometimes yeah. the returns aren't are what you think they are, you know, and it's 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 a day to day job, and it's you know, it's yeah, it's a it's a tough hurdle, and it's. Um, it's tough to get right sometimes. But I think that <laughs> sure. it's good because I think you guys have an advantage is that like your marketing campaign isn't really like a campaign. It's just like being honest. No. Right? Like it, that's the good yeah. thing is yeah. that you don't have to try to manipulate a message, right? Like other brands no. may no. have to. So that to me, that, that can make it a little easier for you guys because it, you're already so transparent, right? Like you already make really yep. good stuff and it looks good and the mission is, is is what it is. So I think that you just telling the story is so naturally and organically Mm. enough to where Mm. you know people we hopefully become passionate customers
2: yeah that's right well we can absolutely see that you know as our customer base grows um we can see loyalty as well where we've got customers coming back to purchase again and again Mm. I believe that's because of the transparency and um the the alignment of values between um, the brand and the customer and and i guess it's very easy sometimes to be persuaded by um what you might hear what's noisy out there time and it needs to be this or that but you know you can never you can never your brand values need to be foundational and you need to consistently keep coming back to you know what what is your mission why why you do you exist and then work back from there you know in how do we how do we um, achieve this mission and and that comes all the way back into every aspect of your business marketing um, customer care you know i think we we get so sidetracked with wanting new customers all the time that mm-hmm. we forget about just looking after the ones that we do have and for a for a cause driven brand if you think about the kinds of people that are probably early adopters of your brand they they probably align very closely um, with with your mission as well or they probably wouldn't have bought it to begin with so if you look after and nurture those customers um, which is a, is harder than it than it might seem. Yeah. Um, then I believe that you're going to have the greatest impact in marketing, which is genuine organic growth mm-hmm. through um, you know word of mouth, um, and that's that's I mean that is
0: the ultimate. That's what we all want. We want people to talk about us to other people. Um, that's what will create the change.